0: Welcome to the show today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, While we have just had the blessing of being able to sit down with or (laughs) Zoom in such incredible guests in this season in the fight for life and liberty, as God has been connecting me and our new organization, the White Rose Resistance, with so many freedom fighters who have been contending on the front lines of the fight for so long, to remind us what my pastor Rob McCoy always says, that the church has been waiting downstream to pick up human heartache that they helped create through their political apathy upstream. And Christians and freedom fighters and pro-lifers, I think, are having this stirring awakening starting to happen where the church is recognizing that part of responsibility and stewardship is that nasty word, politics that the church has been so afraid of that we're to contend in the political and public square for the rights of our neighbors and the freedom of the next generation and our posterity. And so I was so blessed in a conversation I had recently with former Kansas governor Sam Brownback, uh, who is our guest today and I think you're going to be really blessed by the conversation. He served as a White House fellow in the George H.W. Bush administration in 94 when I was 3 years old. He was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. 2 years later he won a seat in the U.S. Senate. Returned To Kansas, where he was elected governor for two terms. Then in January of 2018, Sam Brownback was confirmed to serve as the U.S. Ambassador at Large for International Religious Freedom. Under the Trump administration, you may remember this. And he has now recently launched the National Committee for Religious Freedom, a nonprofit organization established to defend religious freedom for all Americans and all their religious communities by supporting political candidates at the local, state, and national levels, regardless of party affiliation, who support the free exercise of religion. And if you're a listener to this show, you know that we're constantly talking about how those who murder the unborn cannot be trusted to govern the born, and they will inevitably ramp up their tyrannical, like despotic agenda against those who would stand against the culture of death. And religious freedom is one of those frontline important battles in order to preserve liberty and freedom for us and our children. Buckle up, you're in for a treat. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted.
1: (laughs) Ambassador Brownback, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, thank you, Seth. It's great to join you. Yeah, absolutely. I love love that T-shirt. Boy, (laughs) show that thing off. That looks great. Yep,
0: that's right. Which which one? I love America. Turning Turning Point USA, wonderful merch. Our friend Charlie Kirk uh, building one of the most phenomenal organizations in the fight for life and liberty in this moment. Um, But brother, you've been contending on the front lines for so long. And so we were connected through some mutual friends, just so our listeners know kind of the the fun way that this happened. And uh, they, they said, hey, Seth, you just moved to Kansas. And we were just at this dinner with Ambassador. Brown Brownback, and you need to get to know him. And so um, we had a fun uh, conversation the other day, and you pointed me to a place I need to visit uh, nearby to where we've moved in Kansas regarding some of the abolitionist history in Kansas. But our time together just so blessed me, and you said some things that were so profound— uh, and insightful about just the nature of the political and cultural warfare that we're in right now in America, and also some of the significance of Kansas in the historical quote unquote culture wars. Uh, but before we get into that, for our listeners who aren't familiar with you because some of them are younger, <laughs> and so they don't have a good memory of who were the governors a few years ago, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Sam, your, your background, your family, your heritage, and kind of how God called you into the realm of politics.
1: Well, it's pretty unlikely a route that he called me. I'm, I was born on a farm uh, near Parker, Kansas, town of 250 people. I'd wow. never met a congressman. Um, yeah, and then I finally meet one when I'm elected state president of the Future Farmers. And I go, wow, <laughs> that seems like a great job. I wonder how you get work like that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it really started me on a quest. Uh, I was later elected, uh, as mentioned, Congress, and then later the door, Lord open doors up for me to be in the Senate and governor and ambassador, and it's just been a wonderful journey of life and of pursuit of liberty, but at the same time, I've seen their whole country just slide away from these basic notions, uh, the kind of basic cultural undergirding of Christianity, right. Judeo-Christian ethics in the country, and you're coming to the point today where you're just kind of going, gosh, I, I'm... Sometimes I wonder how much I recognize my own nation, yeah. uh, just the changes, and yet it was these it was these values that undergirded the nation that stood it up in the first place, that have sustained it through so many difficulties, and now we're just kind of teetering on the idea whether we're going to just completely walk away from them, or or are we going to re embrace them? Yep. and uh, I'm in this fight for, uh, I'm in this fight for for life, uh, for culture, for religious freedom. These are basics. These yeah. are basics, and we've, we've got to fight for them, though.
0: Yep, they are, they are basic, aren't they, Sam? They, they are what our founders might have called self-evident or uh, axiomatic principles. And so we have been putting in place the premises that justify our own enslavement. We've taken our rights and liberties for granted for so long. Uh, we stand on the shoulders of giants, and we think that we're flying, uh, and we forget the cost at which those freedoms have come and the cost that they require to be maintained. Uh, and, and so we're noticing the increased commitment of the other side to their agenda, to death, to targeting the unborn, to going after those who would dare stand against the abortion industrial complex, to the point now, Sam, that on September 1st, what's today? that we're recording this on the 6th, five days ago, brother, Corrine uh, Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, who took over for—I call her "circle back Saki," who, who was always circling back because she was never prepared and she had to defend the indefensible—just <laughs> uh, said that um, pro-lifers um, and um, religious conservatives are ultra MAGA Republicans, and that had come from this polling they had done, where someone told the White House that they did a poll and they found that the word, the term MAGA, caused more. Um, uh, uncomfortable or distancing from Trump than the word Trump would. So they started inputting that into their into their rhetoric. Um, and that we're also the greatest threat to democracy, Sam. That's what they're saying about pro-lifers right now. And lest people think I'm jesting, Jen Psaki, I just researched this, clarified in May of this year before she stepped down that when the White House referred to ultra MAGA Republicans and threats to our democracy, she explicitly said that also refers to those who would interfere with a woman's access to health care. And we all know that they mean abortion when they say health care. Now, abortion is not health care because pregnancy is not a disease and babies aren't tumors. Uh, But that's the redefinition of language in terms that you have to resolved if you're on the left. So my I wanted to say all that to set up this. Wow, now if you believe what Democrats believed in the 1950s, because basically every Democrat in the 1950s was against abortion. If you're just a 1950s Democrat who jumped in the time machine with Marty McFly and you you went to 2022 right now, you are now a domestic terrorist and the greatest threat to our democracy. I, I mean, now, we know the left and the Democrat Party uses radical dehumanizing language against the unborn and their political opponents, but notice the quadrupling down of this since the overturning of Roe v.ersus Wade. So I wanted to get some of your thoughts on all of that as someone who's watched a lot of this in the political realm, because that, to me, that's another level. And if we don't start waking up and contending against that, we will one day be defined what did the Nazis say? Lebens und leben, Life unworthy of life. <laughs> and then we will be treated as the political dissidents that you would treat a domestic terrorist.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you've said so much there. It's kind of hard to get, uh, get a thought around all of it. But the, the point of it to me uh, is that you've got these very basic things. Like take religious freedom. The, the country was founded on the concept of you've practiced your faith and I get to practice mine. The government can't tell us what to do. We have a free exercise clause in the Constitution, and it's there for a purpose, and it's in the First Amendment. It isn't in the Fifth or anything <laughs> later. It right, is in right. the First Amendment because that's what allowed the union to come together because you had Baptists in the South, and you had Quakers in Pennsylvania, and you had Catholics in Maryland, and they were all fighting and killing each other in Europe Right. over religion. And they come to the United States, whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa. if we're going to have one country here, we got to figure out how to let people practice their faith. And they came up with this notion. Right. And they also wanted to give maximum freedom to people. But they thought then people have to self-govern and that's where religion comes in. Religion helps in your own self-governance. So we'll have free exercise of religion. The government won't tell you what to do, but they expected you to self-govern. And so these are foundational to this sort of very open democracy that we've created in the United States. And if you walk away from these foundations, it, you are going to have huge trouble, just like on any house. If you walk away from your foundation and it crumbles, what happens to the house? It just it implodes. That's and right. then on top of that, in this fight of life. Okay, so we're talking about innocent human life in the womb. And you know, whoever you are, uh, your life began there at the moment of conception. That's right. And that's biology. As the other side is saying, we believe in science. Okay, then you believe you started right at the very beginning uh, at conception because right. there's no other place to start. That's right. This is it. And so I, you just see these foundational attacks. And I we the, the beauty of it, what I've seen over time is the beauty of it. If we will stand up for truth and not cower hmm. and not shy away and hide, we will win this debate because truth ultimately does win. That's right. And that's what we've got to do, is we've got to stand up and say, No, free exercise you're entitled to. Life, life is important, life is valuable, life is sacred. And we're going to stand up and fight for it. We're going to stand up, fight for it at the very beginning to the very end. That's right. And we're going to fight for everybody's life. That's right. So these are things we've, we've just got to do in our generation, your generation. Now is the time we have to stand up and fight.
0: Amen. And I was told for my entire life, Sam, that Roe v. Wade would never get overturned that this was the one thing that was for sure settled law. (laughs) We found this constitutional rights somewhere in the emanations and the penumbras. It's there, Sam, trust me, it's there somewhere. Uh, And this is settled law now. This will never get overturned. Of all the culture war priorities of the left side of the aisle, that was the one they told us was never going away. And so not only did we win a massive culture war victory on June 24th, 2022, but it was the sacred cow. It was the sacrament of secular progressivism, which I think bolsters your point, that if we will stand and if we will present a united front of people who care about these ideals to the really secular religion today, um, we will win. Um, but I wanted to ask you about something you just said, Sam, because I can't tell you how many, and I'm sure you know, the same. I'm sure you've run into the same people, how many people I run into in, in the church, in Christian circles, who say they're pro-life, who say, well, well, Sam, I'm pro-life. I'm a Christian. I, Psalm 139, knit together in your mother's womb, John the Baptist, fetal John the Baptist doing backflips in the womb. Okay, that's all great. Uh, but I don't feel like I should impose my personal Christian beliefs onto the secular society. And, and it, doesn't it say somewhere in the Constitution, Sam, where is it about the separation of church and state? Uh, could you tell us where that is?
1: Well, it's not there. You do have the. It will not establish a church. That's, right. that's in the First Amendment. Uh, there will be no establishment. Uh, so there's not a church of the United States of America, and that's because it's First Amendment so you can't do that. But the the separation notion is is one that's been drawn up again uh, and put forward and used like a bludgeon uh, yep. by the left. No, it's uh, it's it's not there. Yep. Th- this was always designed to be really a very religious nation because the founders were saying, we're going to give the people all these freedoms. And before, remember at that time, that didn't exist. The king had the divine divine right of freedom, and he governed. But well, now right. we're going to give it to all the people because it's the people that have this divine right of freedom. That's right. And, but how are you going to govern a place with that much freedom? It's going to be internal, and it'll be religion that works with people and teaches right and wrong, good from evil i uh, you know it's so that 's why we have laws against murder, yep because uh, people say no, it 's wrong to murder somebody it's wrong to do that yes that's correct <laughs> it is wrong to murder
0: somebody yep that's right i correct me, Sam. It might have been John Adams, certainly one of the founders, who said that this country republic was built for a moral and religious people, and it is wholly inadequate to the governance of any other um and so it's it's You want to tear your hair out sometimes watching people who have taken the freedoms and liberties um, that have allowed them to flourish in America for granted while attacking the foundation upon which all of those rights and liberties are built. And and Lincoln regularly made this point in responding to um, people like Stephen Douglas um, that they, in adopting a pro-slavery position, they were putting in place the premises that justified their own enslavement. As Lincoln said, you say A is white and B is black. It is color then, the lighter having the right to enslave the darker. Take care, (laughs) by this rule, you are to be a slave to the first man you meet with a skin fairer than your own. And he continued to do that to every pro-slavery argument. And the same thing can be said sort of uh, about the attacks against... American freedoms and liberties as well, so it, it's, a, it's, a, it's like we say this a lot in conservative circles, but it's like a, it's actually like a very important point that we need to continue reiterating to the broader public because the lessons of history teach that teach us that as well. Uh, now, uh, Sam, you have started the National Committee for Religious Freedom. Um, And this was directly after your time serving as the U.S. Ambassador-at-Large for International Religious Freedom. Tell us about that and tell us about what led you to do that, why it's important, what the focus is,
1: and all of that. The United States is the flagship for religious freedom around the world. It it really started here. I mean, there's different concepts for different places, but it really took root here. It was Thomas Jefferson wrote it. uh, That was one of the things he considered one of his greatest accomplishments was the, the religious freedom that he put forward in Virginia that it became come forward here. Well, I was fighting for it around the world, religious freedom. And most of the world's population lives in places where they don't have religious freedom, free exercise. And uh, so I'm fighting for it, pushing for it. We're making some progress. We're not making progress in some other areas. And I come back home and I see we're losing ground here for religious freedom. The flagship yeah. is, is losing ground. You're seeing in the education system, people squeezing in on. You're seeing it in the healthcare system, people squeezing in on your right to, to be able to claim basic religious freedom concepts uh, that that you believe marriage is sacred. In your religion, you believe somebody is born a man or a woman, as, you know, Christ said, uh, God created them, man and woman. Uh, You know, and and you're saying that being attacked and any ground you lose here in the United States on religious freedom gets magnified overseas. Everybody's watching. And if you start cutting back on it here, you get worse situations around. Well, same as when we went with Roe versus Wade here 50 years ago you saw an explosion of abortions around the world. Wow. Because here was the hallmark nation Great of freedom and standing for life. And we're saying, well, maybe you can have abortions. And actually, not even maybe, it's in the Constitution. Mm-hmm. We'll declare it so. Well, that really then opened the doors globally uh, for abortion and its expansion. And that's what I fear on religious freedom. So that's why we've got this National Committee for Religious Freedom, People can go on the website, the NCRF.org. It's fighting for religious freedom for everybody. We've got an advisory board that has Christians and Jews, Muslims, Hindus, uh, everybody standing up to fight for this fundamental right. And remember, religious freedom is the human right of the soul. Hmm. This is the one human right that is so deep within you because it's what you believe it's, it protects the right for you to believe what you want to believe as long as you're peaceful at it. Right. So this is a very deep human right. I think it's a human right given to us by God because he let us choose right. whether we would honor him or not. And you start <coughs> crowding in on that, you really hurt all of your human rights activities. Yeah, yeah, Yep. Yeah, that's right. Wonderful point.
0: Um, there is there was one of the greatest threats to religious freedom, especially on the pro-life side of the aisle, um, under the Trump administration. And I'm sure you're going to remember this. And so I wanted to ask you about it. Um, and it's not talked enough about. Um, and it's, I think the lessons from this are incredibly important. There was a lawsuit against a Vermont hospital during the Trump administration because this Vermont hospital coerced a nurse to assist with an abortion, killing of a baby, upon threat of career termination. Now to this nurse's regret, as you may remember, Sam, um, she, she gave in, she was coerced to assist with the abortion. She was so horrified by the role she had played in the death of this baby that it turned into a lawsuit against this Vermont hospital. It was one of the most clear-cut cases of conscience violations in American history. I mean, for a doctor to tell a nurse, you get in this room right now, and you help me kill this baby, and she's like, no, I'm pro-life. doesn't matter. You want your job? Better kill the baby. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. One of the first things the Biden DOJ does within the first few weeks of the new administration, (laughs) drop the lawsuit against that Vermont hospital. whoa. What is that communicating to the American public? And I wanted to get your thoughts on that.
1: Well, I think it's clear on his face. Uh, and and these, this is one of the key areas where we're really seeing this crowding in, as I say, on religious freedom is in health care. Uh, the, the pursuit of pharmacists that are pro-life saying you must comply with issuing those abortifacients that are going to be used to kill the life of a baby. Yep. Or you're going to lose your pharmacy job and or maybe your license. CVS, just, it, you fired,
0: CVS just fired a young girl last week for, for for saying, I don't want to prescribe the abortion pill.
1: There you go. <laughs> I mean, and that's what I mean. You're going to see this. I saw uh, Justice Alito one time and I was asking him about, are we going to have religious freedom in this country? And he's really been the, the stalwart on this and many other things for that matter. But he said, you're going to have it in law. I don't know if you're going to be able to maintain it in culture. Mm. Uh, And that's what we're talking about. That's why we've got to fight for this. That's why we have to stand up. And we only lose ground if we won't fight. If we'll stand up and fight for something, we'll maintain it. We'll be able to keep it. But it's when people get cowering or they self-censure, they just go, you know what? I just, I don't want to get in that fight. I don't want people to exclude me. Uh, You know, but, but people are fighting back and they're seeing it right after the Virginia governor's race this past year. Yeah. My first call the next morning was to get to a guy in Northern Virginia. That's an imam of a major uh, mosque there. And he said to me, he said, I am so glad the Republican won. And I go, wait a minute. I'm, Thinking most Muslims vote Democrat in this country. And I so I didn't question him about that, but I was saying, why do you say that? And he said, Well, my kids, they're being told they're, he had kids in the public school, so they're coming home and they're saying, You must refer to me as he, she. <laughs> uh, or you know, in the in the gender plural. They, them, yeah. That's not what we I, we you're a boy, you're a girl. I'm not I'm not gonna refer to you gender neutral. We don't believe that. And I he was and I thought. Isn't that interesting? Wow! Uh, here you've got this really moving in the U.S. called in the education system, in the healthcare system, people. But people are starting to get their back up, starting to say, "No, wait a minute, that's not right." Yep. We've just got to find the courage in our voice, like Joshua said, be strong and courageous. Yep. we've just got to find our voice and stand up and
0: fight. That's right. That's right. Isn't that interesting, too? I'm sure you thought about this before, how the, the left, whatever you want to call them, the liberal establishment, um, they will never go after Muslims because that's not politically acceptable or correct to do so, even if they contend for the right to life of the unborn and the right to define marriage as the only thing that it is because words have meanings and marriage is only one thing and it only ever has been recognized by every society in human history but if you call marriage the union of one man and one woman or you say that that abortion is the killing of little children and you're a muslim well, they won't touch you but if you're a christian oh well, they'll try to ruin your life it's a
1: very important lesson <laughs> oh it, it's a very important lesson but the muslims are on to it i mean they're they're seeing saying okay wait a minute these Christians and us, we have pretty close to similar traditional moral values on some of these basic issues. And while they may be giving us a pass today, they're not going to do it tomorrow. Hmm. We, we've we got to stand with these other people of faith because it's about our faith that, that yeah. they're attacking. They're attacking the basis of our faith. So, yes, they've been giving them a pass because they really, they want their votes. Uh, but a number of them are now catching on saying, no, 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 no. Wow. We don't we don't agree with these very radical transgender ideas, these radical notions on life and the taking of innocent life. We we don't agree with that. And they're starting to stand up. We've got a number of them helping us out on this National Committee for Religious Freedom. Yeah, yeah,
0: wonderful. I love that. I love that ecumenical uh nature of contending for those rights. Um I, I wanted to briefly bring up the Equality Act before we talk about maybe a little bit of the central role that you've seen Kansas play in the culture wars, if, if you'd like to. It's, we're just having a fun conversation. We don't have to dive into too many details. But I wanted to bring up this idea of the Equality Act that's been a, a pipe dream of the left for decades Back to when Phyllis Schlafly successfully defeated the Equality Act. I mean, they've been pushing this thing for forever, um, and they they failed in getting it through in 2021, as you recall. Or as you recall, they were trying to push it through again, and I mean, this thing's so radical, right? It, it would it would enable. Uh, them to sue churches uh, who teach from Genesis about the marriage of a, a man and a woman. It would enable them to, to go after colleges that don't allow a man to compete against a woman. Uh, I mean, like crazy stuff. The Equality Act would actually be the single greatest threat to religious freedom at the federal level that we've ever seen ever, bar none, in, in my opinion. So I wanted to get your thought on that and the role it plays against the threat to religious freedom. But, th- but in conjunction with that point, Sam, look at this. This is from last week. They're attempting to do something through federal code or section 1557 of the Affordable Care Act, which, is, which was one of the goals that the Equality Act would have achieved. The, the Biden administration's HHS is now saying that we need to amend a federal code that would allow us to sue pro-life OBGYNs who don't perform abortions for sex discrimination or pregnancy discrimination. And so it's section 1557 of the Affordable Care Act banning discrimination in health care based on race, color, national origin, sex, age, and disability. Part of the rule involves discrimination based on a patient's sex, which they say, quote, reiterates protections from discrimination for seeking reproductive health care services. In other words, if a pro-life OBGYN says, I don't kill babies, sex discrimination, sue him. I mean, and this was one thing the Equality Act would have achieved. And so I've been trying to tell Christians for a long time, Sam, that they're going to bring the Equality Act back. They're never going to give this up until they have the political capital to, to get it through, at which point, and then I'll throw the ball back to you, at which point I believe, Sam, I believe that if we ever arrive at the physical persecution of Christians in America, or I get thrown into a gulag, if that ever happens in America, I believe historians will look back. And point out the Equality Act as one of the single greatest turning points that led to the physical persecution of Christians.
1: Um, Your thoughts. (laughs) You know, um, I think it was Cardinal George, it may have been somebody else, that said, uh, You know, I'm going to, I'll die in my bed. My successor will die in jail and his successor will die at the gallows. Wow. Um, And just, just saying that that was the trajectory that the country was moving on on right at that point in time. Now there's nothing that says we have to continue that trajectory. That's right. And that we can and should fight back, and we can pray for a great awakening uh, in the country, and do I do regularly all the time. Um, but I, <clears throat> I think you have to see. Well, we had this year at the International Religious Freedom Summit, we had a respected Finnish parliamentarian who had been in the the, the uh, parliament for a number of years. Uh, she's a physician, 21-year physician. She was cr- criminally sued in Finland for posting Bible verses about a man and a woman and homosexuality, criminally prosecuted. Wow. Now, she won the case at the lower court, but the prosecutor said, well, we're not done with you. We're going to appeal the case uh, to take it on up. She's a delightful, lovely, of peaceful, calm <laughs> well-formed Christian woman, and they're pursuing her. Uh, and she would just outline this. All I did was post on Facebook yeah. Bible verses wow. on these things. And there it is in a Western democracy. Yep. And Europe is often, you know, a decade or so ahead of us on some of these trend lines. Yep. Um, so, look, folks, it's just I think people have to really decide that do, do I really believe this or not? Hmm. Do I really believe? And you gotta also remember, God doesn't need a majority to win; hmm. He needs a faithful remnant. That's, right. that's all, and, and that's what He usually requires. Very it's got to get down to just a few, and then He says, "Okay, now I'll fight," and off, and and everything swings. That's right. Uh, but it's kind of coming to that point for a lot of people to decide. Whose side are you on? Yep. Uh, on what? What do you actually believe yep. about God? Yeah. And uh, what does He say about? What does He suggest about how we ought to live our lives? Yep. Uh, he gives us this Bible. Is I've got a friend of mine who was an implement dealer for a long time. When he would sell a new tractor or combine, he would give him the owner's manual, and then he would also give him a green Bible. And uh, he said, okay, this is the owner's manual for the tractor. This is the owner's manual for life. I want to give you one of these yep. and uh, it'll, it'll do you a lot more good than that owner's manual for the tractor will. Yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah. He got some ideas of how yeah. he thinks we ought to live and, and we're wise and, and we're free and liberated to follow them mm. and to live by those precepts and to stand for them. Mm. That's
0: good. Yeah. Um, it reminds, that reminds me of uh, something Thomas Paine once said, uh, Sam, and boy, if we don't have more people who are willing to live and say things like this, then I, I do believe the country's gone. Thomas Paine once said, if, if trouble may come, let it come in my day so that my children may know peace. I mean, to explicitly say, I want it in my day. Wow, is that a far cry from where Christians are today. And then, of course, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, said, the question for a responsible man to ask is not how he is to extricate himself heroically from the affair, but how the coming generation shall continue to live. Um, and, And we are in one of those flinching points, those turning points, those Rubicon lines, those Kairos moments, I believe right now, where if we don't turn things around very quickly and enough of the remnant wake up and are willing to sacrifice for these liberties and freedoms in the next generation, then we will not maintain a lasting freedom, and we will not, to quote our fander, founders, have a new birth of freedom, or to quote Lincoln. Um, and so a, a lot of this turning point right now in the country, in the fight for life and liberty, Sam, providentially, in my opinion, kind of was wrapped up in the overturning of Roe v. Wade, this, this phenomenal Your thing votes. that we never thought would happen. And I understand that it's not banning abortion, I, I, I'm an, I'm an immediateist in principle. Uh, I would like to immediately ban all abortions across all 50 states. Um, but the political significance of Roe v. Wade getting overturned is the political equivalent of the Emancipation Proclamation for this generation. I mean, we were told this would never, ever, happen. And now you have over 13 states that have banned abortion or or basically almost essentially completely banned abortion. And so wow, to watch the spirit of the age and his lackeys and acolytes quadruple down on abortion after the overturning was was something to watch and and I'm a watchman for all of these things and it blew me away. And so it goes back to the states, Sam, and then, you know, these state legislatures start determining their laws or if they have pre-row Um, trigger laws, then of course it's illegal immediately. So I just moved to Kansas. Missouri was like the first state to not have an abortion center in decades, right next to Kansas. Similar political cultural climates to my understanding, and yet you've got Missouri going way away from abortion and standing for life. And you have Kansas that just voted against the value them both amendment. So as a Kansan, as the former governor, Sam, Give us your thoughts on that, What were you thinking leading up to that? What was your analysis of of the how and the why behind that and you know what what's your take on that
1: well my my take on it was the timing was terrible for the value of them both vote in Kansas. It was six weeks after Dobbs. The left had unleashed every bit of fury they could on how horrible it was to be pro life to 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 stand for life and how horrible this was going to be for women, never mentioning a second about the life of the child or asking whether or not Dobbs was poorly decided legally. Nobody mm-hmm. ever said it was poorly decided legally. It was they, nobody even said that you know yeah. because it was well decided legally. Right. right. This is the actual law of the land, but you had that six weeks onslaught. We had all this out of state money that came into the state of Kansas, and then you had all the deception. Well, you're not going to be able to deal with a ectopic pregnancy. Well, right. you're not, going to, the doctor's not going to be able to deal uh, <laughs> with a, mo- a, a, a woman if, if she has particular issues and concerns. I mean, just all this sort of things going on. And then, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, if you poll America, about 60 percent of the country is kind of OK with early first term abortions. Um, and I had a debate with a person, a Republican that I've. I think did vote for the value of them both. And they were saying, well, I'm kind of okay with the early term abortions, you know, and I'm sitting there going, well, okay. And I, I said to this person, when did your life begin? When did it, when did your life start? That's right. Well, I guess it started at the very beginning. Okay. And I said, okay, would it have been okay to kill you then? No. <laughs> why Why is it okay then to do that? And I, I just, I think really what happened is you had this really bad timing. And most of these votes too, even in very conservative states, whenever you ask and try to put something in the constitution, they only pass by small margins. Mm. I was in a campaign for one in South Dakota that we lost about 10, 15 years ago. Mississippi won one, but it was by like one or two votes pre-Dobbs. Um these are tough ones to get through the public and I just think we have to back up and say okay how do we continue to educate work with the public how do we continue to talk with people about life um you know it's hard for us to imagine today but at one point in time in this country slavery was okay with half of the half of the nation and right. the northerners Many of them, they didn't like it, but I'm not going to get all that fired up about it. You know, I mean, that, that's the ways and, yep. you know, I, it's outside out of mind. And then they started seeing what it really was. And I think we just got to show the public what it really is and and incrementally move the nation forward pro-life.
0: Yep. Yep. That's right. It's it's tragic and shocking to remember and realize that there was. Basically, a full century um, from the abolition of slavery to the Civil Rights Amendment, where blacks have full equality before the law. Wow. 100 years to weed out the bigotry right, the, the tacit assumption that the black man was not really one of us or that he didn't have the right to participate in the country as white men did. That's a long time to rebuild a culture of life and change the moral conscience of the people. And here we are 50 years in to our Holocaust, to our civil rights issue, to our killing of the unborn. And I just pray it's not going to take another 50 years or 100 years before the unborn has full equality before the law. But Roe v. Wade was certainly significant, and that's the understatement. But I, at, just as I believe that there are Kairos moments, um, Sam, I also believe that there are— uh, territories or areas of the country that are more significant and more important than others, right? We call these swing states, you know, th- these have been described in different ways, kind of some, some of the, f- the forefront, right, or front lines of some of these battles. And so you had some really interesting insights, and maybe we'll just kind of close with this, and I think my, my listeners will find this um, interesting as I've just moved to Kansas, um, but you kind of explained a lot of the history of bloodshed uh, in Kansas and kind of the, well, it is kind of the center of the country, but it's also kind of often been at the center of a lot of the culture wars. Uh, I wanted you to share some of the insights that you you've prayed about, thought about, about that.
1: It is. I mean, John Brown, that is the guy that lights the match on the civil war, He makes his name and he starts here in Bleeding, Kansas, where you have irregular forces on both sides. And they were basically political parties with guns. One was pro-slavery, one was anti-slavery, and they were battling each other back and forth in Kansas before the Civil War. And it's at Oswatomie, Kansas, where John Brown loses a son in the battle there, that he gets his name, Oswatomie Brown, which is that's what they called him at Harper's Ferry when they were yelling in at him there when he was trying to take the federal arsenal. Wow. Is that Oswatomi Brown in there? <laughs> well, he made his name there in that battle of Oswatomie. And there he declared there will not be peace in this land until the issue of slavery is resolved. Wow! So you had all abolitionists moving to Kansas that weren't supposed to be coming here. But they were primarily people of faith who couldn't stand the idea of slavery and were willing to fight about it. That's right. That's what it really ended up being was people that, look, I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. And I think, you know, we finally are at a point in the nation where you've got a number of people just saying, abortion's wrong. Hmm. This, This is wrong. And the left's trying to justify it saying, well, I saw this Father's Day story where uh, uh, these guys were claiming they were better dads having paid for an abortion of a younger child because they were now ready to be a dad. Wow! And I was going, you're justifying abortion and claiming it makes you a better dad. <laughs> yeah. You paid abortion. To made me a chi- great
0: parent. No, it made you the parent of a dead child.
1: <laughs> I just, but wow. that was kind of the justification that people were, were going through and, I, we've got we got a long ways to go. we've got to do this in love, but we've got to do it in truth, and we've got to speak it clearly and caringly. And we just can't quit. Yeah. that's the that's the big piece about it. And we've got to be courageous uh, about it, too. That's what I would say in closing to your listeners, and that we've I've seen historically throughout Kansas, you know we the first constitution in Kansas was a pro slavery constitution. Uh, And then they'd said, wait a minute, this one got stolen. We're going to try to rewrite it. And they rewrote it. And it was a a free, it was an anti-slavery constitution. So these fights have gone on. This is usually an early battleground state. Hmm. And it's usually where both sides put their forces pretty aggressively on the battlefield and to Hmm. fight. Uh, And it's a fight we will win if we will stand. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh,
0: that reminds me of what Martin Luther King Jr. once said months before his death, and he sounds like John Brown, frankly, what, what, what you were just quoting John Brown. Uh, King Jr. said, until our problem is solved, America may have many, many days, but they will, they will be full of trouble. There will be no peace. There will be no tranquility in this country until the nation comes to terms with our problem. And I think the same thing could be said today about the bloodshed of over 65 million unborn children. Um, It was uh, Lincoln who said that we, as a free people, will either live for all eternity or die by suicide. And a country that murders its own posterity and babies is a country that will one day inevitably die by suicide. Um, and we are in a late hour of the fight um, in these culture wars right now. And we're so grateful, Sam, for everything you've done contending on the front lines and what you're doing now in building coalitions of fighters for, for liberty, for religious liberty and, and freedom. So thank you. Keep up the good work, brother. And uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to have you back on sometime.
1: God bless you, Seth. And get over to Oswatomie to see the cabin of Oswatomie Brown. yes. Uh, yes. To you. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. That'll be fun. All righty, Sam.
0: Well, God bless. Godspeed. We'll be praying for your protection. And uh, uh, stand fast. <laughs> God bless you, friend. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Thank you guys for joining the show today. Head on over to Spotify, YouTube, iTunes podcast. Give the show a rating and review. Let us know what you think. Uh, check out what Ambassador Brownback uh, is building with the National Co- uh, Committee for Religious Freedom and the international events that they do as well, and we'll provide a link to that in the show notes. If you want to see my speaking schedule... And hear me live and local or book me for an event, uh, go to SethGruber.com. And to become an ally of the White Rose Resistance, to help me rebuild the White Rose Resistance against our silent but far more deadly Holocaust of abortion today, go to the whiterose.life, www.TheWhiteRose.life, and check out our inter- our national tour around the country, the uh, White Rose Resistance National Life Tour, sponsored and promoted by Turning Point Faith. we got nine churches on the books before the end of November, and uh, some booking for the new year as well, where we tell the bigoted, Nazi-esque, racist legacy of the abortion industry, its pontiffs, and intellectual thought leaders, and how these ideas have weaved its way through the republic to our current moment, and why we need Christian resistance against this Holocaust now, before it's too late. Thanks, Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. (laughs)